0: This week, this year's NAMI Walks for Mental Health look a little different due to COVID, high school sports and coronavirus, and Big Ten football returns after all. But first, absentee balloting in Minnesota for the 2020 election has begun. Minnesota Secretary of State Steve Simon says there's a lot of misinformation about the safety and accuracy of voting by mail. He says the process is safe and easy. Here's more with Minnesota Secretary of State Steve Simon.
1: Yeah, my message to voters is to consider using that option. If you go to a website, mnvotes.org, you can order that absentee ballot to come to you so you can vote from home. We are tied with South Dakota for the earliest state to offer that to all voters in the state of Minnesota. So it's easy, it's quick, despite what you're hearing about postal delays. We have several workarounds and several things that can uh, make sure that the ballot will get there on time this year.
0: You mentioned what folks might be hearing about delays. Can you talk about that a little bit more specifically? What are some of the concerns?
1: Yeah, well, there's been much in the news over the last two or three weeks about delays uh, from on up high in Washington uh, that are impacting the Postal Service nationwide. But we're full steam ahead on our recommendation that people strongly consider voting from home. And some of the workarounds we have are, for example, telling people to order their ballot now, don't wait until late October when elections workers are at their most stressed out and when they're really slammed. Second, as soon as you know who you're going to vote for, get that ballot in. You can vote, of course, uh, at the very last day on Election Day. But if you know a week or two or three earlier and uh, there's nothing that will change your mind, then get that ballot in. Next, I would tell folks, keep in mind that this year and this year only, there's a special rule in place for the deadline the deadline rules are different. This year, you can postmark that ballot as late as Election Day, which is Tuesday, November 3rd, as long as it also gets in within one week. So your ballot can get there by November 10th and still count. That means every Minnesotan has an automatic built-in seven-day cushion to get that ballot from point A to point B. And if there are folks who are still uncomfortable with a week in light of what they're hearing from the Postal Service, not only can you send it in earlier, obviously, but you don't even have to send it back by mail. Just because you receive it by mail doesn't mean that's the way you need to get it back. You can always hand deliver it to the office listed on the envelope, or you can have a trusted person hand deliver it for you. Either way, there are several workarounds. And I would add one last thing. We have a feature on that website, mnvotes.org, which allows every voter to track their ballot, just like you would a package. So you can know with certainty, for sure, when it has arrived, even what date. So it's not left to chance. You don't have to say a prayer when you drop that ballot into the mailbox. You can know for sure when it has arrived and that it has been counted.
0: We've talked about this in the past. In the 2016 election, Minnesota was targeted by bad actors with uh, various election interference, uh, particularly the Russians. And my understanding is that that's something that you're watching out for this time as well. What What are you seeing right now? Yeah,
1: we have absolutely not put the brakes at all on our efforts to monitor uh, potential interference. We can't. We can't afford to. So we've been working very hard all this calendar year, spending time, effort and money um, to harden our systems, to make them better, to make them safer and stronger. We're working with our intelligence agency partners in Washington, D.C. on both uh, briefings, classified briefings about the threats out there and on know-how, on actual um, uh, you know, practical advice and exercises, um, that are meant to make our systems more secure. So for example, we invite the Department of Homeland Security to come in to test our systems, to try to find the soft spots so that we can correct them. And that's what we're doing right
0: now. Of course, as you know, a couple of weeks ago, President Trump was uh, urging the voters of North Carolina to vote twice to test the process. Uh, just wondering if you had any reaction to that.
1: Yeah, that was unfortunate. Um, Uh, the analogy that I used is it's sort of like inviting someone to try to rob a bank just to see whether the security system is as good as the bank says it is. We would never tell anyone to do that. So please don't vote twice. Just vote once. Um, If you have questions about security or procedures, that's perfectly legitimate to have those questions. But there are other ways to get those answers other than messing around with a potential felony. So just vote once.
0: I'm wondering, Mr. Secretary, if you're seeing instances of folks getting um, essentially junk mail from different political groups that may try to confuse the issue of mail-in voting. Um, I've seen reports of such things online, and I'm wondering if your office is hearing about that.
1: Yeah, there is a lot of confusion out there, and some of it is being um, spread in the form of disinformation. So when people talk about voting by mail, that's a really big, broad term, which encompasses a lot of things. Um, What some people object to is a system that we are not doing in Minnesota. So we are not doing this. There are some states that are doing what's called universal vote by mail, where all registered voters automatically get a ballot sent to them, whether they requested it or not, or whether they wanted it or not. That's not what we're doing in Minnesota. Some people object to that system, but that has no relevance in Minnesota. What we are doing in Minnesota is something that we've been doing since before World War II. This is not new. This is not unique. This is just good old-fashioned absentee voting, using the mail to have the ballot mailed to you, uh, and then returning it either by mail or by hand delivery. That's it. It's that simple. So even though both methods make use of the U.S. mail, either one way or both ways, they're not the same thing. And some of what folks are hearing about has tend to muddy the waters between those two things, uh, making them sound like they're the same when they're not the same.
0: Thank you to my guest, Minnesota Secretary of State Steve Simon. And if you'd like to find out more about absentee voting, you can do so at mnvotes.org. Again, that website, mnvotes.org. Minnesota Matters returns after this.
2: Quitting smoking or vaping can be difficult, and it can be even harder during times like these, when stress is often higher. Finding healthy ways to manage that stress without nicotine is important. For Minnesota residents who are ready to quit smoking, vaping, or using smokeless tobacco, QuitPartner is ready to help. Through a family of free programs, QuitPartner offers free support like one-on-one coaching, emails and texts, educational materials, and quit medications like patches, gum, and lozenges delivered by mail. In fact, a mix of quit coaching and quit medications can help double a person's chances of quitting. No matter what support a person would like to try through Quit Partner, it's always judgment-free. And now that Minnesota has raised the legal sales age for tobacco to 21, residents may be looking for quitting resources now more than ever. To learn more, visit QuitPartnerMN.com. Or call 1-800-QUIT-NOW.
0: Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Minnesota is gearing up for its 2020 DIT Do It Together walk on Saturday, September 26th. It's a statewide effort to support the National Alliance on Mental Illness and join in this creative mental health awareness raising event, which also raises funds for NAMI's programs. Because of the COVID-19 pandemic, Tasha Radel tells us the landscape of this year's event will be much different from years past.
3: That's right, Scott. Since 2007, NAMI Walks Minnesota has brought thousands of people together each fall to raise awareness about mental illnesses, celebrate hope, and support the efforts of the National Alliance on Mental Illness to provide education, support, and advocacy for children and adults with mental illnesses and their families. This year's walks will be a little different due to the COVID-19 pandemic, but it will have the same aims. Joining me today is Sue Abderholden, Executive Director of NAMI Minnesota. Sue, tell us a little bit about this year's virtual walk. So the NAMI walks, which has been happening in Minnesota for
4: over a decade, is really an opportunity to raise awareness about mental health and mental illnesses and to get people talking about it. Um, This year, because of COVID-19, we will be doing this virtually instead of at Minnehaha Park. So it will be um, quite a bit different than in past years.
3: So, for folks like myself who have never taken part in a virtual event, can you describe how it works and, and what we can expect?
4: So the way that people can do this is they can do, we're calling it, you know, uh, do it together. So on that day, choose something that you'd like to do. Maybe it's a walk in your neighborhood. Maybe it's a bike ride, you know, in the country. Uh, maybe it's hiking or boating or just having a dance party in your living room. Whatever it is that you'd like to do, you get to do that day. And so you can still sign up to be a, a walker, in quotes. Um, you can still, you know, if you'd like, you know, raise money to support our work. And then we will have um, events on Zoom um, that people can watch. We're asking people to send us photos or little video clips of what they're doing that day so that while we aren't physically together, we will um, be together in spirit.
3: Sue, I know one in five people are affected by a mental illness in any given year, and the need for mental health care has never been greater. I also think it's important to note mental illnesses affect persons of any age, race, gender, sexual orientation, religion, or socioeconomic status.
4: Yes, unfortunately, it impacts everyone. And I'm going to be honest, during this pandemic, it has affected even more people, which I think is understandable, right? We're living in a time of great uncertainty, um, we have people who have either caught COVID or because of their job, right, are worried that they will catch it. Um, we have, you know, parents trying to juggle work and uh, educating their children. Um, some people have lost their jobs. I mean, it's a, it's a really difficult time. And so we're seeing as, uh, you know, national data, CDC data,
3: as well, uh, an increase in the number of people struggling with anxiety, depression, and substance use. Sue, I know the virtual NAMI walk gives people a chance to show their support in a variety of ways about the importance of mental health awareness and access to good mental health care. I want to focus on that for a bit. Because of the pandemic, I know a lot of people, and even myself in some cases, have put off doctor visits because of the fears of COVID-19. Are we seeing the same hold true in the mental health services sector? What's been interesting is that our mental health providers have shifted to telehealth pretty quickly. And
4: so we actually have a lot of people who are seeking out care because they don't have to leave their home. And to be honest, in rural Minnesota, people are often worried about someone seeing them at a mental health clinic. Now no one knows, right? They're doing it from the privacy of their own home or sometimes even in their car. Um, And so it works pretty well. It does not work as well for frankly, people who are much older and might be struggling, and actually children, which you can kind of imagine. Watching a video, you know, a Disney video, right, on a screen is very different than trying to do play therapy or therapy on a screen. So um, it's worked for a lot of people, but not for everyone.
3: And this is pretty exciting. I know around 1,000 people across the state have already signed up to participate in the inspiring effort. For those still needing to register for the walk, how do they do so? Yes,
4: so you can go directly to our website, which is Minnesota.org, And you'll see um, a banner across the top that says NAMI Walks. And so just click on it and that will bring you to the right place so that you can uh, know what to do. And frankly, while you're there, look at some of the resources that we have. We have now, of course, online support groups um, through Zoom and a wide variety of classes as well. So you don't have to worry about, you know, is there going to be one in my community? You just sign up through
3: Zoom. Well, we're about out of time, Sue. Any final thoughts today?
4: I, I think the only thing that I would add is that because it is um, Suicide Awareness Month, I just want to encourage people, if they're struggling at all, to please reach out. The National Suicide Hotline is 1-800-273-8255, or you can text MN for Minnesota to seven four one seven four one.
3: Thanks again to my guest, Sue Abderholden, CEO of NAMI Minnesota. Again, for more information on how to participate, including registration or forming or joining a walk team, head to NAMIMinnesota.org and then click on NAMI Walks, or you can call 651 645 2948. Again, that number 651-645-2948. Back to you, Scott.
0: Thank you, Tasha. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. As high school students statewide grapple with a different start to the school year, reporter J.W. Cox tells us one group of students is getting a chance to reclaim some normalcy.
5: Scott, for the second straight weekend, high school players denied their high school season due to the reaction to COVID-19 will take the field to play 7-on-7 seven seven this coming Saturday, a modified version of the game they love. My 7-on-7 seven seven passing league founder, Ty Thomas, told me they were prepared to expand the league this fall and help meet this unique need.
6: Well, we've been running youth programs, seven 7-on-7 seven youth programs, for about six years now. Um, the last couple years, we've ventured into the high school space. Um, and when the Minnesota High School League announced the postponement of the fall tackle season, I thought it'd be a great opportunity to keep kids engaged in the sport of football, allow kids to play with the the members from their school and and get those repetitions and work on schemes and and, um, get the repetition for for football going into the spring season.
5: What do you hope will be the biggest benefit for these high school athletes that will play in your league this year?
6: Well, I guess number one would be, you know, just to get out and, and play the game. Um obviously everyone was disappointed with the postponement or cancellation of football. Um this gives the kids the opportunity to get out, compete, have fun in an exciting environment um, with their friends. So that's number one. And I guess number two would be um allow them to continue to hone their skills, um, continue to get better, um, work on things that go into football and then take those into the spring season once that gets rolling.
5: For those who don't know, what is 7 on 7 and how does it differ from the game football fans might be used to?
6: The first thing is that, you know, it's non contact. That's the most obvious thing people notice in 7 on 7. There's no pads or equipment, Um, there's no tackling, it's just touch football. Um, And it's a lot faster pace, Um, a lot more scoring. There's only three downs in in comparison to four downs. Um, You know, so you'll see a lot more touchdowns, long pass plays, and the emphasis is on. A spread offense pass format, but you can run. Um, running backs can run the ball, and there is one lineman position on the field, which is not an eligible receiver. Um, but a center can get repetition snapping the ball as well.
5: What are the safety steps that will be in place to keep the players safe, and how difficult is it to adapt the game of football to current conditions and health expectations?
6: With the the limited amount of kids we have on a field, is one thing that falls within the guidelines of of safety protocol but we had been doing um, COVID pop-up camps all summer um, with the the government's guidelines in place Um, we've had you know temperature checks the number of kids on the field so we had become acclimated before the high school even made their decision to postpone the season so it was easier for us to just turn the key and and, and implement a league really quickly um, knowing that we had the structure in place already so we have team guides who kind of make sure all the COVID protocols are in place, make sure the teams and the players and the coaches understand um, some of those rules and details that apply to them when they're on the field, as far as wearing masks, hand sanitizing, um, no spitting, and things of that nature. Um, We we like to make sure they're guided through the facility, and there's one entry point and one exit point, so um, kids aren't cross-contaminating with each other.
5: Have you had statewide interest in players traveling to join the league?
6: Yeah, so we got a lot of big schools. Um, we got the Lakevilles, the Eden Prairies. Um, we also have St. michael Abbeville, so some teams from up north, um, and then all the way down to uh, Rochester. We have some Rochester teams coming in as well. So it's pretty spread out um, throughout the metro and a little further beyond that.
5: You mentioned the infrastructure, for the most part, was in place to do this already. What was the decisive factor for you to give the project the go-ahead for this fall?
6: You know, a lot of kids are looking to get film, looking to be recorded and and go on to play at the next level. Um, This gives us an opportunity to showcase the kids' skills, maybe get some film from from the 7-on-7. We're looking at some live stream options. And then we're also going to invite some of the college coaches from the area in to kind of watch the games but have them in a secluded space where they can't interact with the kids. Um, So we're looking at doing things like that, mainly just to get kids exposure, get them out, and and help their aspiration to play at the next level.
5: Games in the My 7-on-7 League will be held on Saturdays the rest of September and into October at the former Winter Park training facility of the Minnesota Vikings in Eden Prairie. More information available at my7on7.com. Scott, back to you.
0: Thank you for that report, JW. Minnesota Matters returns after this.
7: Welcome back to The Dog Show. Up next, we have Satchmo. Satchmo is a member of the Shelter Pet Group. That's right, a group known especially for their couch-snuggling, ball-chasing, face-licking, tail-wagging, backyard-hanging, and, of course, companionship. And what breed would you say Satchmo is? I'd have to go with maybe a lavish, terrier-hound, chihuahua-looking kind of mix. Tremendous dog. Mm, I'd also like to point out Satchmo's coloring, a white-gray-brown-black brindle. Simply marvelous. You know, it's such a treat to watch a dog like this. Now, let's see him in action. Look how he makes eye contact with his person. That's actually known as the treat stare. How intuitive. And now he appears to be excitedly turning in circles. Ah, the happy dance, so common with this group. And finally, the loving face lick. It's great how he just gets in there and, well, licks. Fantastic. But really, the best way to know an amazing shelter pet like Satchmo is to meet one. Visit theshelterpetproject.org today. Adopt. Brought to you by Maddie's Fund, the Humane Society of the United States, and the Ad Council.
0: Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The Big Ten Conference has reversed course and says it will hold a fall football season, now set to begin on the weekend of October 23rd, 24th. Golden Gopher head football coach PJ Flex spoke with MN Sports Director Mike Grimm about the league's decision right after the Wednesday announcement.
8: Yeah, we're back. Uh, we're so excited. Had a team meeting this morning. The players were fired up, you know, from day one. Everybody wanted to play. Everybody wants to coach. But I think this kills two birds with one stone uh, when you look at it, where you get the players who are a little apprehensive at times and parents who are a little apprehensive at times with how are you going to keep my son safe? What are the protocols? How can you promise a COVID free field? And then you had the others just like, we just want to play. I think this blends both together uh, and I think that everybody has a really good understanding of how we're going to move forward and we're just thankful for everybody's hard work, everybody's leadership, and the guidance through all this. Uh, It's been hard, that's for sure. Uh, But at the end of the day, the Big Ten gets to play, and we're really really thankful and really excited for it.
5: You mentioned it's been hard. How hard has this been in terms of trying to navigate through the emotions of it? Uh, And as you mentioned, the want that you want to play, but then knowing that there's some safety things going on and people uh, in charge at a high level are trying to make decisions for 14 schools involving 1,400 players basically how hard has it been for you and your team
8: yeah I think that's what's made it just difficult for everybody is just the word uncertainty you know but you look at the Big Ten landscape from day one whether it's you know Rutgers out in New Jersey in the New York City area whether you look at what was going on in Michigan with the state or whether it was going on in Illinois or you know even in Minnesota you know the Big Ten landscape has a lot of major cities around it and you were following all CDC policy state laws and everybody had completely different state laws and so you're you're trying to make policy and rules and guidelines based on all these different states that fit everyone and we're in a different landscape at times and with different rules. And I think that's w- what's made it very difficult on everybody. The uncertainty of when and if we were going to play puts a lot of added pressure and stress on young people. And I think that was the major focus, was just our players. You know, I spent you know, 24-7 just thinking about how we're going to make our team better mentally, physically, and emotionally. But more importantly, the mental health of this football team, of how we're going to keep our guys engaged. They started thinking three months down the road, and that's when you lose people. That's when the mental health really doesn't go well. we got to control now. we got to keep everybody focused on now. We have to be able to work on Zoom. We have to be able to do all these things that aren't normal, which what's normal about all of our lives is football. It's, it's, it's the one common thing that we have as a professional uh, coach. You have football. Players have football season to look forward to. In January all the way through December, they know what the season is. They know what the routines are. And when that's taken away with uncertainty, that, that there's a lot of mental health issues that can come into play there and a lot of uncertainty. Uh, and then you send people home for a long time. Now they're under different guidance, different rules. It was all just really hard. Not saying it was all bad. It was just hard because you were leading from afar. And usually what makes us really hard, I mean, we worry about our kids when they go away on spring break. Right. And completely don't have us except for Zoom. It was just very unique. And we learned a lot through it probably mid last week to maybe the beginning of last week. You could just feel a little bit of the momentum swinging a little bit uh, more towards maybe with the rapid testing and the president's possibly getting back together calls that we had with the head coaches just the feeling you got and the vibe you got with the new technology and the new medical advancements that have been uh, installed for COVID-19 I think that helped everything I think that gave us hope and gave us a chance and then as it continues to move forward you look at hey there's definitely a possibility if we can eliminate contact tracing if we can get rapid testing we got a chance and then that happens, and next thing you know, the season ended up happening the way, every, obviously, everything, how it unfolded today. So, it, But it's been a long process. And, again, everybody involved, just want to give thanks to everybody involved. And there's so many, whether administrators, whether the Big Ten, whether coaches, there's just been so many. And the players, just so many people involved in getting this thing done and passed and pushed through. And it's not about pushing through. It's about being safe. Uh, it's about finding a way to make sure that you can answer every single question. You know, And I think at the time when the Big Ten canceled it, you couldn't answer all those questions. And so I think that's why our players said at the beginning that they all wanted to play, 100% wanted to play. Every kid I talked to wanted to play. That's been very public. But there was definitely some hesitancy of how we were going to do it. So again, when our players sat there and said, hey, you know, we think they made the right decision for the information they have, that's what they mean. Is that based on the information that's out there, how can you play? Now they see the information that's out there and they can't wait to play.
5: Coach, how much were you in contact with President Gable, who I assume was in contact then with all of her colleagues, and then uh, medical people, and your athletic director, Mark Coyle? I mean, this decision certainly was a collaboration of all of those forces, I would think. How often were you on Zooms or talking, text, or what have you with, with, with all of those people?
8: Well, Mark Coyle and I have a very close relationship. I think Mark Coyle does an amazing job of running our athletic department. Not only that, making sure that I'm informed. He might not have all the answers, but he always keeps me up to date of what's going on so I can make our football program the best it possibly can be. And anytime you don't do that and you're going to have this lack of communication, there's going to be this void. And as human beings, most of the time, this void that will either to get bigger and bigger and bigger is always filled with negative. Negativity, right. Think about just our relationships with our family members or our loved ones. When you haven't talked in a while, sometimes you're like, well, what did I do wrong? And it just filled with negativity. Our brains are naturally wired to sit there and say, if, if there's a lack of communication, there must be a problem. Right. So Mark does a great job of breaking that barrier down. President Gable, she came out to practice once or twice to be able to talk to our team, let them know what's going on, let them know that she's there for them and that she cares for them, and that every decision made by her will always have their well-being at the forefront of her mind, period. No matter what anybody else is doing, no matter how they're doing it, we're going to make sure that their safety's at the forefront of our mind. And, and she came through with exactly what she promised. You know, we've talked a few times, but not a lot. It's really gone through Mark Coyle, and, uh, but she's done a great job representing the University of Minnesota throughout this entire process. I'm just lucky to work for just really amazing people who, who really truly care about our student-athletes.
0: Let's go for football coach PJ Flack with MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm. That is going to do it for us for this week. Thank you for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.